Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Hey there, and welcome to the Hawkeye Hotspot podcast here on Hawk Fanatic. We've made it. We finally made it to game week. A lot of of preseason talk here. Joined by Scott Docterman, as always, from The Athletic, recording on Thursday, September the 2nd, 9, 10 a.m. Central Time. We made it, Scott. We're finally here. Uh, two days for us from seeing some football, and uh, I'm ready. I'm, I'm, I'm worn out from the preseason talk. I've gotten to that point. It's a fun. It's funny, almost how things the stages go in in reporting football through the course of the year. And you know, once the season kind of wraps up, you look back in Iowa for the most part, a lot of people start to really hone in on basketball and there's some recruiting tie-in since the recruiting season largely was done in, in December. And then you start to look ahead a little bit to spring ball. Then there's spring ball. You're excited to see people then post spring ball breakdowns, then, uh, you know, summer, the new freshmen are coming in, what to expect. And, and you kind of ramp all the way up. And then now we reach this point. It's like, let's just play a game and have something uh, tangible to discuss and, and break down and, and freak out about, or get excited about or whatever. And, and uh, I tell you what, the next, <laughs> the next nine days are going to be as impactful as for this team as any two, two game period, especially to start the season, you know, that since maybe what last year, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's really important. I'm just kidding. Cause it's, it's, it seems like every year is that way, but this year to play two ranked teams right off the bat, two top 20 teams, um, you know, one in league and one out of league is, is uh, I'm, I'm glad we're here. And, uh, but these are two tremendous matchups too. Yeah. Last season was obviously an aberration and just kind of, crazy from a lot of, on a lot of different levels. And, every, you know, every game was important because it was the big 10. And then it turned out every game wasn't important because everything is, you know, Michigan game got the, the champions week game got canceled and the bowl game got canceled, but hopefully uh, a return to the new normal, uh, whatever that is, Scott. And uh, that'll start at two 30 on Saturday at Kinnick stadium. Uh, I encourage fans to check out HawkeyeSports.com game day for information because one of the things that I took out of Gary Barta's press conference on Tuesday, Scott, is just logistically 
this is going to be different and give yourselves time to get there because of construction give yourself time to get into the stadium. There are electronic tickets. There are just, this could be a cluster, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the ongoing um, circus around the, the 3880 interchange is, I feel for anybody coming from, you know, pretty much everywhere except where we live. <laughs> I avoid it at all costs these so, days. Yeah, I mean, I'm like, oh, I'm in North Liberty. I do not go that route <laughs> at all unless I absolutely have to. But, uh, you know, and as I definitely, I'd, I'd probably walk two miles to and then get a hitch a ride rather than <laughs> than uh, do that. But, uh, you know, so that that's going to be a problem for a lot of people. I would say find your way and get there early if you can. And but don't everybody get there early either because then you'll be a log jam earlier. Uh, but, I guess it's uh, good it's an afternoon kick and not you know where people jam in a little bit earlier. Hopefully it spaces it out a little bit. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, we got three afternoon kicks in a row, so mm -hmm. that's probably helpful. And then you get to the end of September home game against Colorado State, which would be that's usually about the time when fans start to kind of wane. And nah, I don't know if I want to go and mm -hmm. non-conference game, even though that's a pretty good team. But um, so maybe they'll be able, that one. I could see being a little bit more like 11, possibly. Uh, but no, it, it, between that and then, yeah, getting in and, and having the, the wireless uh, or the, uh, the, the ticket you know, where you're, you're mobile only on your ticket, that's going to be – it's going to take some time because we know just from our scanners, when we get scanned in uh, to go into the stadium, how many times would you say that thing doesn't work? Half, probably? Yes. Yeah. Where, okay, and then you're holding it still on your press pass, and, and these scanners look like uh, – you know, Roman's phone on the great outdoors. I mean, it's like <laughs> this big, I'm like, it's like a old uh, Tetris machine on the old Nintendo Game Boy. And uh, <laughs> it's so it's like, well, you know, and most of the time, if it happens, it's at least three hours before kickoff, if not earlier. And like, I'll just go ahead, but you can't do that with fans. So uh, I hope that their technology catches up with their technology. Yeah, I would recommend, highly recommend people downloading those tickets and putting them in their Apple wallet, Google wallet, whatever, mm. you know, phone you use uh, to have those. So you're not relying on the Wi-Fi at Kinnick Stadium to do it when you get there. And the interesting thing for me, and we don't have to spend much more time on this, is that the parking passes are now electronic. Normally, those the, the parking, you know, game personnel could see your parking ticket hanging from your rear view mirror right. or you know in, on your dashboard it to me that that may be where the trouble comes in <laughs> trying because they're you know every they're we go you know as many years as we've been going there people are get lost and they don't know yeah. where they're going and where their lot is and yeah so i'm going to give myself plenty of time to deal with the parking and i have to i mean i can get road ragey especially when it comes to that stuff just because I'm ready. Let's go. I'm going to get in there and navigating traffic on game day can be a challenge because, you know, people don't give a crap. They just walk in front of you and you're trying to get places. And I'm like, just, you know, this is stressful enough. 
and uh, it's dealing with my mental health. That's what I want to say. <laughs> but but I, I mean, I'm legitimately worried that what happens if your phone screws up? Yep. I mean, what happens if your phone overheats? Um, there are a reporter had that happen to her this year uh, at, at, at uh, Iowa Media Day. You know, what happens if it just doesn't turn on right or it just doesn't connect or, you know, you know, that's, that's the thing I don't like about this. And I'm, I'm admittingly getting into my old age about, you know, standing on the lawn and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I kind of like the paper passes, <laughs> yeah. you know, here you go. Okay. Thanks. You know, or, but uh, I, I fully respect this is the path we're going down and, you know, I can't complain about it. I just have to deal with it. One other note on that. And then we'll move on. There's no cash in Kinnick. So, that is really important. Don't load your wallet up with bills and expect to use them in Kinnick Stadium. And, you know, one, one thing I, I don't like about that is, and I, I'm, I'm totally going old man here, but for, for like kids who maybe come in and don't have credit cards, um, now okay. they can't buy something, you know, that's now, you know, you figure a kids and I, and I mean like 10 year olds or something, you know, they probably, they're too young for a credit card. Maybe they're there with a couple of buddies and, uh, you know, 10, 12, even early teenagers. And so that's, I don't know. I don't know. if I You like remember that. the old days where you'd be like, oh man, I don't have any cash. Do you, can, yeah. do you guys take cards? Yeah. No, we don't take cards. You have to right. have cash. Now it's like the opposite. Uh-huh. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, it's, it sucks, you know, so, but again, you know, there'll be, there'll be issues. Hopefully they're, they're small because I don't really want to hear a bunch of people complaining about it either. <laughs> I'm doing all the complaining about it right now. So I don't want to hear any more about it. Yes. Don't, and, and be nice to the workers out there. Yeah. They're understaffed, like most service areas and most service industries in this country, I should say. So be nice to be, it's not their fault that you're waiting in line. It's not their fault that you can't use cash. So yeah. be nice to those folks. Uh, just hit on Barta quick again um, from Tuesday, Scott. We don't have to do a ton on this, but because uh, I really didn't, there wasn't a ton that came out of that other than, you know, he really didn't take a stand. He, he wants the Cyclone, Cyhawk game to continue on, but he did not paint himself into a corner that that game is going to continue. He, you know, left the door open, which I think is smart. And you have to do that now because we just don't know where this is headed. Um, you know, Texas and Oklahoma uh, smacked everybody in the face, you know, right before the season started. And now everybody's left to pick up the pieces and it's going to take some time. I know everybody wants answers now, but it's just, it's going to take some time. You've got game contracts, just a lot of logistical things that need to be worked out. There's a ton. And I, I think Gary struck the right tone on this. I mean, it, it's, it, it's easy to kind of knock him almost because he does it on everything. You know, yeah. he's always, he always hedges on, you know, he, the sky's blue today. Well, yeah, I guess it is, but it's yeah, I can see it. Light blue. Yeah. But you know, just, well, when I woke up this morning, the sun was starting to shine and then the sun, <laughs> when it came up, you know, cause he has to give you the backstory on it, but that <laughs> drives you crazy on that. But I, I, in this case, it's true. Uh, and I think that's true for, everybody whether you're in the alliance or in the big 12 or even in the sec because if you're an acc school there are four in-state rivalries at the same level as iowa Iowa state florida florida state clemson south carolina louisville kentucky georgia georgia tech which i think georgia georgia tech is probably the most comparable to iowa iowa state Mm -hmm. 
and their longstanding traditional rivalries. Those are games at the ACC schools in reverse. If you're Georgia Tech, do you want to give up Georgia to play Iowa? No, no. of course not. Um, so that said, the difference and the unique part of that is what's going to happen to the Big 12. I mean, is 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 Iowa State going to go to the Pac-12 at some point? I know they're, they're not expanding now, but, you know, maybe in – four years they change their mind or the ACC or or maybe the Big 12 really solidifies and becomes a, a better league I think it'll be an interesting league no matter what but mm-hmm. but then what what do you make of it then I mean are you feeling like at least now the Big 10 and Big 12 are seen as power conferences so you're somewhat equal yeah. but by then is it an unequal relationship does it matter um, you know I, I think it does matter and I think probably it, it eventually it probably gets expanded, but I don't know if, I don't know how, you know, I, I'm not as interested in 2025 and the changes as I am like 2030 uh, because then at a 10 year window, then you'll see, can Iowa state maintain relevance in a, in a major conference or is it kind of like Cincinnati or, you know, one of the, the AAC teams, if that's the case, then, then the Cyhawk doesn't have as much value for Iowa. And then you have to look around at me because, and, and then the, secondly, um, the big 10 schedule is going to change. I mean, they're going to drop to eight. They're just not, you know, if, if they're going to go into this Alliance and they're going to look to these big games, they're, they're going to drop to eight games to start. Uh, and, and with that, that means that they'll get at least one pack 12, one ACC opponent each year. And uh, from there, then they'll, uh, you know, one of, uh, or the other, but then they also got to be ready in case an SEC team wants to play them or Notre Dame wants to play them. I think it's probably good for, I, I like the nine game big 10 schedule simply because you can have, you can play those teams in the East more often, mm-hmm. but if they redo it and we've talked about it before, if they say, okay, you get three permanent rivals and you cycle everybody in two years on two years off, then I think, Okay, then then that doesn't mean you go a lifetime without playing Ohio State on the road or or Michigan State or somebody like that. You play them, you know, twice every four years. That's all right. Uh, and then you're going to want to play a Notre Dame. You know, what if you get a chance to play, say, Texas A&M and, and Houston or Dallas to kick off the season or or Mizzou and St. Louis or Kansas City? I think you got to grab that. So I I, I think this is a this will be a, a really interesting test run for, for Iowa, for the Big Ten, and, and for college football. Yeah, Indiana's first trip to Kinnick Stadium since 2014. I found, you, I'm sure that was – you knew that. I, I, when I was going through the notes, I was like, wow, I didn't realize it had been that long. Uh, Gary talked also, Scott, about um, – and I, some people kind of uh, maybe made more out of this than I thought it was that the Big Ten talked about expansion, if there was anybody. I mean, of course, I'm, I'm sure they always say, hey, I'm sure that's probably normally a part of discussion periodically, expansion. I mean, obviously it was with the SEC, yeah. and I'm sure all the other conferences are doing their due diligence to say, hey, is there a school here we can add? And, you know, let's just go through the, the list of uh, – you know, the to-do list and, and see if there's anything that we need to address. Um, but I'm not surprised that there was, I mean, you know, who are you adding at this point? I mean, maybe that changes in the future, but you can't just, you know, meet up and say, okay, let's just add, you know, 
for what sake of argument, Oklahoma State and Baylor or something like that, or Iowa State. I mean, it's going to take time mm-hmm. to do that. So I, just because they discussed it now and didn't find teams doesn't mean they won't in the future. You just never know where this is headed. I, th- and they is... could pick off teams from other – I mean, maybe they pick off Colorado mm-hmm. or yeah. Missouri or something like that in the future. Who knows? You know, these moves were so seismic with Oklahoma and Texas that I think in some ways – it, it does take time to figure out what, what is the next step. Right. This isn't, I mean, you look at all of the big changes that have happened in realignment in the last decade or a little over a decade. Nebraska was probably the biggest um, in prominence. Colorado left. Then you had Texas A&M and Mizzou going to the SEC. Then you had the Big Ten crazily grabbing Rutgers and Maryland. Um do you want the Rutgers and Maryland of the West, which would be basically like what Kansas and Iowa State? Um, you know that the the whole everything changed. I mean, we're talking about streaming now, not cable households. I mean, mm-hmm. if the Big Ten was still a twelve-team league, they wouldn't grab Maryland and Rutgers today. You know, so I, I think right now it's best to just all right. Let's just see what the landscape holds. Let's have this alliance with the PAC 12, the ACC kind of move forward and uh, be judicious about it. And then, in, you know, again, in five years, you know, 2025, what's the landscape like then? Maybe uh, I, I think out of those two leagues, the ones that you probably look at the most that are most like-minded for the big 10 are probably some, most of the West coast teams, but do you want to do that? And that's what the benefit of this Alliance is that you can actually say, okay, well, we're going to still play these teams, but we're not going to have to consistently go there and make them part of our league. and Or and share Big Ten, Big Ten Network money with them. Yeah, right. I think, if anything, if I'm the Pac-12, I say, hey, Big Ten Network, do you want to uh, take care of the Pac-12 Network and make it part of your umbrella and basically the Fox umbrella? Because that mm-hmm. Pac-12 Network just blows. And, and the ACC is a weird league because it has, you know, like the Big Ten has like value everywhere, but in football, it's about seven or eight schools. In the ACC, it's very small. I mean, and then you got Clemson and Florida State, but they're not AAU members. Um, Notre Dame's not a full member, you know, so you got Virginia and North Carolina. That's great for basketball, but what does it mean for football? Virginia Tech's not an AAU member. So it's just this weird <laughs> conglomerate that, yeah, um, I think they're doing the right move right now. Yeah, just kind of, I would, you know, well, for whatever it's worth, advise people to just not get too wound up over, you know, something they read or hear because it's going to be a process and it's going to take some time. I saw Bob Bowlesby released a statement yesterday about uh, trying to keep the Big 12 together. Obviously, that's the main goal there, but as Scott mentioned, you know, they've already lost their name brands, Mm -hmm. you know, across the board there. So we'll see what happens with that conference in terms of, uh, you know, status, who knows, you know, maybe it's between an AAC and, you know, a mountain West and the power five, you know, those are just terms, but just in terms of strength, well, we'll kind of have to see where it goes. Um, yeah, how, and that's based on the, that's based on the autonomy that yeah. they have designation, which they maintain, 
as a as an institution, you know, as a, a conference. Right. So if they stay together and add four teams or six teams or two teams or whatever, then they'll keep it. It's just a matter of their perception and, and the actual strength and financial resolve. And that that's going to be. I mean, if they could add a BYU, Houston is a really good market. Um, Cincinnati. I mean, they could put together a pretty strong conference. It's obviously not, you're you're not going to replace Texas and Oklahoma, but you could still put together a strong league. Yeah. And there are lots of options that could help them, you know, whether it's, Hey, let's, let's lean into our Southwest conference roots and go with Houston and SMU. Yeah. Or let's uh, let's go West where there's some big names. I mean, BYU probably has the biggest base out of any, free agent per se and mm-hmm. Boise State has been a really good program or you look in the southeast with UCF and I, I love the fact Boise's playing UCF this weekend I think that's mm-hmm. great yep. um, Cincinnati as you said um, you know even I, I threw this out there just to see what people thought but the service academies yeah you know, if you get if you get Army Navy and Air Force and you have the Army Navy game under the Big 12 umbrella and and I don't know what you think but I mean if let's say Iowa was to play Navy or Army in Iowa City, I think people would dig it. Definitely. You know, if and if it was that or South Florida, I think it's definitely the service academies carry a different kind of connotation. So yeah, I think that'd be something to to think about as well. But you know, they're gonna they're gonna expand. I I, I bet my life on it. And and I think if they stay together, that's an interesting brand of football. I mean, Oklahoma state's very up and down. I mean, Baylor's been good. TCU's been good. Iowa state is good right now. West Virginia has had history. I think if you're West Virginia and you can't get in the ACC, then you say we need at least one travel partner. And I think Cincinnati is a logical choice there. I mean, I think I would push for that, but, um, but no, you know, it, it, but coming all the way back to the Cyhawk, um, you know, it, it, the, the contract's up in 2025. I don't anticipate any changes until that time. And then I think Barta would be prudent to wait until at least 2023 when the new meteorites deal comes into play to, to really say whether they'll expand it or they'll uh, keep it, at, you know, end it after 2025. Yeah. And maybe Jerry's not in that position to make the decision as well. I mean, that's, that's true. Yeah. you know, four years off. So we'll kind of see what the situation in the, is at Iowa. If, you know, Kirk Ferentz is still the head coach and Gary Bart is still the athletic director. We'll kind of see where things go yeah. in that regard. Um, Kirk on Tuesday uh, addressed some interesting, he was playing things pretty close to the best too. Didn't let us know who the kick returner was. <laughs> things like that, where he doesn't like to give out any competitive advantage against a good opponent. Um, one of the more interesting um, revelations from that for me, Scott, and I kind of, we've talked about it. Um, and I, I don't think it was a surprise to anyone, but when he said seven, eight or nine offensive linemen could play, seven is a big difference you know, a big difference from nine. I know it's only two, but that's, uh, that's a lot more movement on your front. Um, It's just interesting that they're still evaluating. And I guess that shouldn't be overly surprising because there's a lot of new faces. They've lost a lot of guys up front the last few years. Yeah, you're right. And the Mark Kallenberger exit was big. 
Yeah, it was. I think he'd be he'd be starting left tackle, and then you'd just be saying, "Okay, who's the best at right?" And they'd still be rotating just to see. But but I think in in some ways, when you have Jack Plum, who's a who's been working both first and second team, but he only has two starts. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Um, to to see shot being out too. Yeah, shot being out. Uh, you look at you know, Britt, who's always seems to be hurt, mm. you know, Ince, who was injured and all spring, you do need to see some players get in there just to see what they can do and, and say, okay, he's not ready for prime time or wow. He's, he's really been a little more consistent against this uh, team than, you know, Indiana than what he's been in practice too. And, and I think, you know, it, a couple of really young guys, it really benefits is, is Mason Richmond and Connor Colby. I mean, they're backup tackles right now. I mean, they're redshirt freshmen and freshmen. If they can, uh, you know, do something in this game, then uh, and show that they are at least maybe equal or equal to or better than in some ways, if you look at it, do you go, well, maybe we need to maybe we need to put them in the starting lineup. I, I think they're, you know, if there was a lot of a close competition, I think you really want to get that film against somebody other than Iowa, you know, because no matter what going against scout team is not the same, especially because Indiana has some really good players. And, and so, it, you know, I, I'd, I'd imagine we'll see definitely out of the outside the top five Mason Richmond for sure. Probably Connor Colby, probably Tyler Ellsbury uh, last night uh, or yeah, yesterday, George Barnett, said Bo Stevens has gotten some looks so you know there's some there's some players I think that you know might get some action it's but it's totally different going against Indiana versus say Indiana State or Kent State in two more weeks I mean those are teams where you can feel like you have a good rotation this one's going to be about let's see who can go out and play and then play them these next two games because you can't mess around too much and my guess is with you know Scott's reeling off guys that have been on campus for, you know, eight months, you know, a year and a half, whatever the case may be. My guess is in practice, there's a lot of inconsistency mm-hmm. and that's hard to sort through. And you're really not going to know until they get out there, you know, on Saturday, which guys are going to be consistent in game, in game reps. And yeah. like Scott said, you can't, I mean, you can rep that to your, you know, blue in the face and practice against scout team, but it's just different when you're out there, you know, against the top 25 team and you're trying to figure out, okay, this guy's struggling. We got to get him out of there or this guy. Wow. This guy really, you know, he's been up and down in practice, but he looks really good out there and that's that they have to work through. And, and the things that you don't see or don't think about too much are if you have somebody who's light versus somebody who's heavy, um, how are you competing in the run game? Maybe you do want that, that bulldozer type in there a little bit more than versus somebody who's maybe, a, maybe they're a little less, they're a little more suspect in the pass protection against a heavy blitzing team. And they're just, they're struggling with their footwork where they, whereas they can get off the ball. So that's really, to me, you know, where that's where this first game is. It, it could be a situation where you look at say, uh, and I'm only I'm more mostly speculating on this one, but let's take Jack Plum, you know, a tall angular guy, good on his feet, basketball feet. Um, he doesn't come across to me as I'm going to, as Brandon Sheriff, you know, as I'm going to blow you off the ball on each and every, you know, but in pass pro, he might be better as far as moving lateral quickness, long arms, 
reach can, you know, disrupt the, you know, disengage and all those things. Whereas say Mason Richmond, who's bigger, thicker, you know, body wise, it's going to be there, you know, it could be this year or next year, but maybe he's, he'll blow people off the ball. But when you've got rushers, maybe he gets beat off the edge a little bit more easily. I can't say that, see that because I haven't seen any of it, but that's only, and, and you could replace anybody's name in that context. But I think that's probably what they're looking at is we got to see the flow of the game because if they're getting a really good heavy pass rush, we got to be careful. We got to have guys in there who can pass protect a little bit better. But if, Hey, we're getting five yards of pop, we're just going to run the ball and, and right down the field. Then, Hey, we're going to go, we're going to play slam ball and, and have our best five run blockers in there on the majority of snaps. Yeah. And we'll just kind of see how that uh, develops on Saturday. Um, hopefully it's a case where there are a lot of guys that are capable and it's just a matter of putting the best five together. And I tend to think that is the case rather than having a bunch of guys that are, you know, aren't capable of doing it. And uh, from a receiver perspective, Scott, um, Kirk was pretty adamant about Luke Lachey being the number two tight end. And that true freshman Keegan Johnson and Arlen Bruce are part of the wide receiver rotation. So another group of young guys there um, that will see their first action. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I mean, to, you know, and I think the walk on Jackson Ritter has entered that group. Yeah. He's, he's been, you know, pretty good. He looked good at kids day. I thought. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, so they, they seem deeper. They seem okay. Uh, you know, on Monday and on, on Iowa live in Cedar Rapids, we had Marvin on and Marvin's like, I talked to people down there and they think Keegan Johnson will be the best receiver and he's got the best, um, this year? Not maybe not this year, but okay. he's got the best um, qualities, physical qualities. It's just a matter of catching up to mm-hmm. everything around the field, which he's a true freshman, of course. I was going to say, if he's going to be better than Tyrone Tracy and Nico Riccati this year, Iowa's in business. Yeah, but I, I, he might be uh, <laughs> yeah, in that category, though. I mean, yeah. he might be a really good true freshman. I don't want to dig up too much of negativity from the past, but if you look at um, – uh, Dominique Douglas was pretty good as a true freshman and mm-hmm. uh, they've had good younger players. I mean, Amir Smith Marset was really inconsistent and Brandon Smith was less than inconsistent his true freshman year, but Keegan, I think is way better than both of those two and Arlen Bruce is as well. So I think they all play pretty good snaps. They'll probably have five, if not six. And then two guys that I think have made an impression to me anyway. And, and when I've seen them in limited uh, snaps, uh, Desmond Hudson and Deontay Vine. So I think they've, they've got a full, you know, and I'm forgetting about Max Cooper. So they've got a full, um, reservoir. I mean, uh, uh, of, of wide receivers. It's just, they need, they need Tyrone to be the number one. They need Nico to make a lot of catches and on critical situations. And then they need Keegan and Arlen to make a couple of big plays a game. Yeah, I don't worry about the the pass catchers. Even losing Brandon Smith and Amir Smith Morset, I think they've done a really good job of rebuilding the receiver position, and, and they just kind of reload at tight end. So then, I you know, again, running back, I think deep there probably see a lot of Tyler Goodson, Ivory Kelly Martin mixed in. I know Kirk men- mentioned the Williamses again, <laughs> again yeah. the other day, and. I think carries will probably be limited for those two guys up until maybe Kent State, and they'll get a little more work then. But uh, yeah, and then we get to see if uh, 
if Spencer's ready to take the next step. I saw he uh, saw on Facebook yesterday, he's doing a commercial for Estella uh, Fresh Max. So he's got his NIL in place <laughs> over there. I've not tried that food yet, but. Uh, oh, you haven't? No, I've heard it's a outstanding. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. You got to go there. <laughs> you know, now, if you do go there, make sure you don't have any work to do afterwards. And, and, I, and I mean that. It, Why? Because I'm going to need a nap. Yes. I'm not going to suggest anything else, <laughs> but it is phenomenal. I mean, it, then the burritos are uh, about one and a half times the size of a Ponchero's burrito. I mean, they're, they're like this and that's like the old Ponchero burrito. Yeah, I mean, the right. old ones used to be what, two and a half, three pounds or something like that. Oh, they yeah. advertise. I know it was like, they're built like a football. Right? <laughs> Now it's like a baton, you know, on track. But I think Spencer does the burrito bowl. He must be off yeah. carts. I that's what I've had to do too lately. And but I'll tell you what, I mean, they grill them and it's just I, I'm feeling like I'm doing a commercial here, but <laughs> but when my wife will say, Hey, you know, my daughter when she worked at Michael's before she went back to college, um, you know, it's in that neighborhood in Coralville. And she's like, my wife's like, Hey, you want me to pick up Estella's? I'm like, Yes. And then pick it up and, you know, and then you're like, oh, my God, I can't move. <laughs> you know, you eat a burrito at like one o'clock in the afternoon and you, can, you don't have to worry about dinner either. It's just that awesome. So I'm going to have to um, check that out. I'm going to check that out this weekend. Long yeah, weekend. I may hit that up. Yeah. So I just gave a better commercial than Spencer probably ever will. Yeah, and if anybody wants to, as we say every week, we're open to any type of sponsorship <laughs> for this podcast. So text max sports books whatever yeah um, right <laughs> but hopefully spencer does not eat a big giant burrito before saturday's game no probably for the best if he did afterwards because <laughs> it'll be about you know 7 38 o'clock when he's leaving the stadium <laughs> go eat a burrito and go to bed you know it's labor day weekend you don't need any we don't need to uh, write anything sunday morning or monday morning no not you know let's wait until monday or sunday night or monday night to push out our stories from after the game and before <laughs> Iowa State week. But no, he's, uh, yeah, I would not recommend that on a, hey, let's have an early <laughs> an early lunch, you know, right before they leave uh, the, the hotel and, oh, let's have a big old burrito. No. Scott's that. got a good piece. He's got a bunch of good pieces on The Athletic this week today. He popped out the three keys uh, in this game. Um Without giving away everything, Scott, um, subscribe to The Athletic. There's my piece on that. That's my uh, plug for something that uh, – so for some – for a, a business that is part of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> what, uh, what do you see for tomorrow? Uh, or Saturday, excuse Saturday, me. yeah. It, there's a couple of things, I think. There's really three th areas that I think Iowa has to execute in or – they could lose, frankly, you know, and, and one is it's, it's defense and you feel like you like this matchup, but it's still going to be very difficult. And that's contained Ty Freifogel. Um, he's the reigning big 10 receiver of the year. And when you think about who was in the big 10 last year from, you know, I know Rashad Bateman and Rondell Moore didn't play a whole lot, but there were still a lot of other good ones like Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson and, and David Bell, who I think everybody knows real well, and we'll give him a, you know, help him out with his NIL if he leaves after this year. <laughs> well, Freifold was probably a little more explosive. I mean, he averaged um, 19.5 yards per catch last year. 
and uh, had seven touchdowns. He had 218 yards against Ohio State. So we're talking about a very explosive player. And one of the interesting things about it, according to Pro Football Focus that I looked at, was he had 10 receptions on passes thrown at least 20 yards down the field, Mm. which is by far the most. And his average route depth per catch was 15. So they want to get the ball down the field to him. And that puts some stress in Iowa's defense. Now they're going to, I'm sure they're going to run too high safety, you know, whatever variation of, of quarters or, you know, cover six or cover eight that they move out of that uh, to, to try to bracket him and make sure he doesn't get them too, beat too badly deep. But it does mean that they're going to have to get pressure, probably some sort of a tight coverage off the snap uh, to ensure that he doesn't get loose. Cause if he does get loose, he has the potential to break this game wide open, you know, like David Bell. Yeah. I mean, just think this is David Bell plus a little bit more. Uh, so uh, that that's really a concern. Now, what mitigates that for Iowa is they allowed only seven completions on 28 passes of at least 20 yards down the field. And uh, they're really sure tacklers that only 4.1 yards per catch or yards after the catch last year. So it's kind of uh, the yin and yang, you know, the, you know, I don't want to use the iron sharpens iron, but it, it's it's kind of two yeah. really elite level performers versus unit, you know, type of performance here. So if Iowa can ensure he's going to get some catches and he's going to get some yards, he's going to make some first downs. He might even get a touchdown and maybe a big play, but you can't have three or four big plays. You can't have him for five catches for 140 yards, you know, or something like that. You, you've got to make him five catches for 72 something like that. And that's to me, number one, and I could really leave two blank, frankly, but um, you know, the, the offensive issue for Iowa is third down and really more third and medium versus third and short or third and long. Their third and long, you know, like Brian Ferentz told me, it's like our third and long sucked just like everybody else's did, <laughs> but our third and short was pretty good, but third mm-hmm. and passing when they're like third and four to nine yards they, only, they completed less than 40% last year, and that was the second worst in the Big Ten, and only eight of those, thir- you know, out of the 33 opportunities on third and four to nine yards, only eight turned into first downs. you got to be better than that, and that's everything. That really comes into three key players in my eyes that, that matter in this, Nico Regani, uh, Sam Laporta, and Tyler Goodson. Because that's where you really make a lot of those, hey, it's third and five, get your first down, move the chains. And those are really important things. So that's, and that's Spencer Petras, of course, too. He really kind of struggled in that area because the opponents knew that he was going to pass. So he passed and he didn't complete it. Now, did it hurt Iowa? It did hurt the first two games, but it didn't last one. This one has the potential to, because you're facing maybe the best secondary you're going to face all year. Um, there are they are an elite secondary and uh, and along with those lines, they've got a pass rusher slash linebacker who's kind of he kind of reminds me of Josie Jewell. You know, he's an All-American, so he's in that same ballpark. He led the Big Ten at sacks in Micah McFadden. Now, I think Iowa has a chance to, to kind of keep him at bay, but he's still a, a, a relentless guy and he's, he gets. He can slip and slide and get into places. So they have to be cognizant of where he is because if they let him impact the game, then 
to me, the most dangerous part of Indiana's defense is it's secondary, and then they will impact the game. So um, I, I think right now that's that's kind of what I'm looking at here. So if there's off those three keys, my recommendation for Iowa is blow them off the ball. You can do it. They run basically a 3-3-5, similar in some ways like Iowa State more so than like Wisconsin. Um, they're active, they're physical, they move a lot, but then they're out of their gaps more than say Wisconsin is traditionally. So you can, Iowa's offensive line can blow them off the ball. Keep, keep your third downs at a shorter and more makeable, but, you know, be risk averse, but not to the point where you're paralyzed. I think if I'm Iowa, my first play of the game would be a play action bootleg pass to Sam Laporta in the flat. Get seven yards, second and three, run the ball. So I don't know. We'll see if that happens. Yeah, I'm with you. I think a key in this game is going to be which team can rush the ball and I think time of possession, field position, because these are really two similar teams, Scott, in a lot of ways. Um, one thing, and, and I know this has struck a chord with Kirk Ferentz, is the toughest part of the toughest thing to analyze with Indiana is the transfers. Um, transfer running back, former five-star from USC, Stephen Carr. They've got defensive linemen that transferred in, a couple of receivers, one from Florida State, one from uh, Texas A&M. I mean, who you know. They, yes. Cam, Cam Buckley. Yeah. Yep. They, um, they have players that I think you're going to be – that Iowa can prepare for, but just it's hard to know what they're going to do because they're veteran players – but not veteran players in Indiana. So Indiana was awful rushing the football last year. They can, were can, terrible. Can it be better this year with this kid and, you know, maybe more dedication? I talked to John Wagner on Tuesday. He said he thinks just common sense tells you that Indiana's worked hard on trying to establish a running game yeah. after what it did last year, but that doesn't mean it will. I don't think that's going to be a part that kills Iowa this year in this game. Because Stevie Scott, who is their running back, who's – I don't know if he made an NFL team or not. I didn't look that far. I just kept my eyes to Iowa guys. But um, Stevie Scott was a really good running back. Yep. And when he could do things, when he had room, he did all right. But they averaged 3.1 yards per carry. So they were not a very successful rushing team. It was in the hundreds um, nationally, 114th, I want to say. So 12th in the Big Ten, right? Yeah, yeah. So they were, they were not good at all in that area. And, yes, I'm sure they tried to improve it, but you're going against, again, a, a two-gap a two system. Now, I that's going to put a little bit of pressure on Iowa's interior, but how much? I mean, these guys aren't going to lay down. I mean, you know, Indiana's not going to blow them off the ball like a Wisconsin will. Um, so I, I think they're going to be okay. It's their RPO that could damage them a little bit. But then, you know, Iowa has a really good front seven. They don't run, they don't put eight in the in the line of scrimmage and they won't, not against this team. I mean, I would anticipate they run more cash than probably in any other game this year because like next week, they're going to have to run a lot of four, three with uh, Iowa State and it's two to three tight ends that it uses mm -hmm. a lot and stuff. So um, I think Iowa can do a good job there. I mean, people forget, and I, I think this is something that, doesn't get brought up enough, frankly, is 
Iowa scored more, averaged more points per game than Indiana did last year, averaged more yards per game, 70-ish yards per you know, rushing per game. Um, you know, it, it, Iowa averaged 4.6 yards per carry. Indiana was 3.1. So there are areas. I mean, what does Indiana do, though? They are a big play pass team, and they've got a good quarterback who's not a high, high percentage guy but he hits big plays. So if Iowa plays that style of defense and if the defensive line can do the right thing and get to the quarterback with regularity and disrupt the passing game, I think Iowa not only wins this game, I think it could be decisive. However, if Iowa kind of screws up and, um, you know, let allows a big play, can't get to the quarterback. Um, we could see a, a replay of the Purdue game to open the season last year. Yeah. Indiana's got a, a solid tight end as well in Peyton Hendershot. So they have plenty of weapons. Iowa has a lot of weapons. Uh, good specialists for Indiana, good specialists for Iowa, good return guys for Indiana. Yeah. Iowa has, you know, the best punt returner in the conference and Charlie Jones, and we'll see who they put back there to replace Amir Smith-Marset at, at kick return. But, uh, yeah, this is a really, really good game on paper. The metrics and analytics do not like Indiana did not like Indiana last year, but I think sometimes those factors are overplayed. I like to, I I, I look at analytics and I look at the metrics, but I don't rely solely on those. And I think people do that too much. I think you just incorporate that in overall analysis. That's kind of how I do it, but everybody has their own approach. Yeah. And there are certain teams that are really strange in certain areas. Penn state is traditionally, horrific when it comes to third down completion, mm-hmm. but they never worry about it. You know, they just do their own thing and they usually they move the ball so well in first and second down. It doesn't matter whether you're on third down. Um, you look at, you know, not to downplay the competition. It was a COVID year, but that was a bad Michigan team. That was a bad Michigan state team. That was a bad uh, Penn state team early on in the year. And they only won by a, a fraction of an inch allegedly. Uh, and then they went to Wisconsin and beat Wisconsin 14 to three and Wisconsin even were, you know, they were worse COVID hell then than they were even against Iowa. Yeah. So I, you know, I'm not taking anything away from my, that was a tremendous year. They were a fun, good story in the big 10, the Tom Allen's love each other mantra really galvanized that team and brought them together. Um, but I also watched the game against Ole Miss in the bowl. And Ole Miss had a losing record. And Ole Miss had a good offense and a terrible defense. And they really couldn't do much. Now, Michael Penix wasn't there. But but as I said, you know, he had a lot of good big plays through the passing game. That's where Iowa excels. Don't allow, allow them to get, you know, big plays on you. So if Iowa plays the way it should, the way it's styled to play with a veteran secondary, I think those plays, you know, they're not going to give up seven home run hitters i mean it's just not gonna happen maybe a couple it's just make sure that those couple don't kill you and then the other ones do too so i i like iowa a lot in this game um just because of all these factors and and i think people are overlooking the hawkeyes i think the hawkeyes were really good yeah and you know i asked Tyler Linderbaum about this the other day, the turnovers, you know, Mm -hmm. they lose to Purdue with those two crucial fumbles and then lost to Northwestern three picks. So Mm -hmm. um, you can't give this Indiana offense extra possessions because as Scott said, the big playability, you're just, you're playing percentages here. You give them more chances to make big plays then you're likely to give up more 
big plays. So I think the Iowa offense can't hurt its defense mm-hmm. on Saturday. This is where you, if you're a student of the game versus a fan, sometimes that there's a disconnect. And that is the best way for Iowa A to win this game, which is most important factor of all. It's the, the only metric that really matters is to play Ferentz ball, run the football, punt, play defense, make them go a long way, ensure that they don't beat you deep, play bend but don't break. They're not going to be able to run against you very much. So on third down, occasionally you're going to be able to disrupt it, maybe get an interception, force some punts, and then you just figure field position is going to matter the most. That's the way to win this game. Now, of course, it's fans, oh, you got conservative or whatever. <laughs> Hey, it won. Throw the ball downfield. Throw, yeah. Take some more home run shots. <laughs> no, don't don't do that against this defense. No. This this defensive backfield, the Tijuan Mullen and and some of these other guys, Taylor Williams. Um, they've got Matthews. They've got some. There's their secondary is Iowa's equal. Yep, I will say, and and that's and so if you're Brian Ferentz with. You know, you, you like your receivers, and I think Tyrone Tracy's a really good one, and I think the others are capable, but there's no home run hitter like Amir. It just isn't. I think you could probably substitute for Brandon Smith a little bit better than Amir Smith-Marset. And, and so I think you just move the ball when you have to through the air, hit it when it's there. You know, maybe hit that play-action pass on first and 10 is where it's at, but play conservative, play physical. You'll win this game by 7 to 10 points. From a gambling standpoint, Scott, this game has not moved much. Um, it started at five and a half, according to Vegas Insider, um, the consensus, and they just they pull um, right. several different uh, books and pull them into one and put together a consensus. It was five and a half open and dropped quickly to three and a half with a total of 46 right now. So... I think I had picked it 24-20 Iowa. That's 45, so kind of in that ballpark. I think that number is pretty good, the 46 number. Um, certainly could see it going over that, um, depending, you know, first game of the year. Again, turnovers, mistakes, things like that, fumbles, things like that can happen. Uh, three and a half seems like a reasonable number. Sure. Um, oh, yeah. for, for you know, a team's teams rank one team's ranked seventeenth, one team's ranked eighteenth. It looks pretty uh, comparable on uh, paper. But first time fans are back in Kinnick in two years. I think this is going to be a pretty electric environment. And that's going to help Iowa as well. Yeah, it sure is. And you know, it's funny. I did talk to Jack Campbell about it a little bit about. You know, he's like, I would never tell the fans to be quiet, but, but sometimes it hurts them on communications. Yeah, and sure. I, and I, I said, well, you've kind of got a similar issue to me, which is he doesn't have a real voice that carries, you know, and it's like, <laughs> yeah. you start, it gets louder and you're trying to scream and you can't scream. And he's like, well, I'm just going to take more drinks of water <laughs> to, to make it work. But, but no, that, you know, I, I think having fans at Kinnick, you know, you look at last year, I, you know, the Northwestern game, I was up 17 to nothing. And I've said it before. I'm like, Hey, Northwestern did what Northwestern always does to Iowa. That ruined its birthday, but it also, <laughs> uh, you, you also figure out that if there were 69 and a half thousand fans there, 
I don't know that they come back from 17 down and to do that. And I, I, I just think it's going to be a tough environment. Like for, like you, I mean, my final right now is Iowa 27, 17. So I'm right in that, that ballpark. And I, you know, it could go either way. I mean, you know, as far as, you know, going over or under, you know, it could be fourth and four from the, from the eight, and they throw an incompletion or an interception in the end zone to end the game. And, and you're hanging right there on a thread on the gambling line going, come on, one way or the other. Yeah. So uh, there were some tickets left as of mm-hmm. Tuesday. I don't know where that stands now. Have you gotten an op- update on that, Scott? I think it was what, 2,000? 2,500, I think 2500? they said. Yeah. So I imagine it gets pretty close. You know, yeah. may, maybe it doesn't quite get over the limit, over the top, but. But who knows? I mean, it's it's a nice day. And and that's the thing where Iowa kind of probably gets hurt a little bit by the secondary market that fans, a lot of cases, well, I don't want to buy it from the school if I can buy two or four together on the secondary market. Yeah, but if you are um, debating whether or not to go to the game and you don't have tickets and decide to give it a go, um, Check out HawkeyeSports.com and they'll let you know if they have any left there. And as Scott said, I'm sure there are plenty on the secondary market. Let's skip around a couple uh, other Big Ten games this weekend, Scott. Um, obviously, one that's very uh, of, a, of high interest to uh, Iowa fans is Penn State at Wisconsin. An important game here. Um, like Iowa, Penn State or Wisconsin gets Penn State at home. Um, or Penn State gets crossover games on the road of Wisconsin and Iowa. I don't know who did that schedule, not James Franklin, but uh, no. this is this shall be interesting because both of these teams are coming off down years, I would mm-hmm. say, in, in odd circumstances, but nevertheless, down seasons. Yeah, and I probably have more faith in Wisconsin to bounce back, even though I do think Penn State's a pretty good team. They got good players. But the way they played last year was there are some questions. They've got a new offensive coordinator again in Yursich, Mike Yursich. And I think he's good and he'll probably help. But uh, I don't know that I see Sean Clifford coming in and saving the day for the Nittany Lions in Camp Randall. I like Graham Mertz more. Uh, you know, they were just so disjointed last year in so many different ways Penn State was. And um, now they've got Noah Kane, who was a really good back and only got to play like a quarter last year. And then he was hurt for the rest of the way. You know, Wisconsin's issues last year were COVID related. I mean, that really bit them in the butt for most of the year. And even at the end, they didn't have Jalen Berger against Iowa or Danny Davis or Kendrick Pryor. And those two receivers felt like they've been there since Rudock was throwing passes for <laughs> Iowa against them. But, you know, I might have been actually. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, even like Cole Van Lannen, I think it was, uh, you know, drove to the game the day of because of COVID yeah. and stuff like that. So they, They've got a really good defense. I think they're going to cause some problems for Penn State. I like the Badgers here. Um, you know, if Penn State's going to do something, they got to do it early before the students get in there. <laughs> so, <laughs> and and I was I, on my Big Ten podcast uh, that I do. I had Audrey Snyder, our Penn State beat writer, on there this week, and I was just like, you know, this is where the Big Ten and Fox need to come to a different arrangement. You can't have a game at Camp Randall against Penn State be at 11 a.m. It's just you need that thing to be at six or seven. And, and yeah, two of rocking. Wisconsin's big home games, Penn State yeah. and Iowa, 11 a.m. kicks. That sucks. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's terrible. And it's like, come on, guys. So Fox is uh, kind of monopolizing or trying to make its big game that noon, like big noon or something yeah. like that. But but I think this is just not going to be what we're, uh, you know, I, I just don't like the way this is going to, this is going. And luckily for Iowa, you know, deadline wise, yeah, it may stink for some, from our newspaper brethren, but I do like the fact that they're mid-afternoon games the next three weeks. Agree. Um, and that line opened at five and a half or opened, excuse me, at three and a half. It's opposite of the Iowa game. Okay. It's up to five and a half now. So people coming in heavy on the Badgers there. Um, interesting game in West Lafayette, Scott. Purdue hosts. Uh, maybe this is a pre uh, a preview yeah, of the Alliance. Yeah, there's Purdue a couple of Alliance State. games. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say that one in Maryland, West Virginia, <laughs> our Alliance matchups. They're just uh, testing the waters. Yeah, right. Uh, this one is, the, 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 you know, I look at the Alliance, uh, you know, potential matchups is, is the same as interleague baseball. Yeah. For every Mets, Yankees, or or Dodgers, you know, Yankees, Red Sox, Cubs matchup you get, you get, what, the Mar, uh, the Rays and the Pirates. <laughs> this is kind of the Rays and the Pirates here, you know. Of the, uh, you know, I, I think this is an important year for Jeff Brom. You can't pay him $5 million plus to not reach a bowl game. And they have two of the best players in the division. But I don't, I think team wise, I'm not convinced that they're in the, even in the middle of the Big Ten West. I mean, David Bell and George Karloftis are tremendous players. But beyond that, what do they have? I don't know. Now, I think they should beat Oregon State, but I don't know a lot about them either, frankly. I've paid a bunch of attention. So I think this is, one of those where you kind of say, okay, Purdue passes a lot. They're at home. You know, I think Purdue probably gets that win, but I don't know. I'm not good. I wouldn't touch it betting wise. What about you? No, not <laughs> at all. I, I, the first week is so hard too. Um, just, I mean, I don't actually wager my money, but I think it's just kind of human nature. You look at the point spreads and then your mind, you're saying, okay, I like one side or the other. Yeah. I think that's pretty pretty normal especially when it's your job to cover the sport but uh what is the point spread on that thing how did i lose that uh it Maybe. is purdue minus seven yeah okay sounds about right so, yeah and uh it'll be uh interesting to see how they get out when we uh we saw the big 10 kick off the season <laughs> Last Saturday, um, the more things change, the more they stay the same in Lincoln. And uh, Brett Bielema get, gets his Illinois, gets his era at Illinois off to a nice start. So I don't know if we learned a ton about either of those teams, Scott. I think we probably learned more about Nebraska than Illinois. Yeah, I think right now what we're, uh, what we're looking at is uh, – uh, Nebraska is the same as it ever was. It's like the talking heads, you know, yep. same as it ever was. And, uh, <laughs> and so I, I think uh, that, that to me is, is what's a, a bad sign for Nebraska because they made the same mistakes they do every single year. I mean, bad special teams play. Now that was, 
<laughs> reminiscent of a play we remember in the Gator Bowl, uh, the one in the goal line. Mm-hmm. But then there's also, um, you know, fumbles then that lead to a touchdown. There were, you know, situational mistakes, uh, you know, not knowing it was a first down or not. I mean, you're on the field. I mean, we didn't know on TV, if, you know, when they had the ball, like at the five, if that was a first down or a fourth and one, but they know on the field, that's different. They're not watching the game on TV. So I, I think that's, uh, and Martinez know, that, was asked about that after the game and he still didn't know what they were talking about. Right. And, uh, you know, and then afterwards, I, I don't know how you dig yourself a bigger hole after Saturday, but, you know, on Monday, Scott Frost comes out and says, well, we expected them to be at a 30 front and they came out in a 40 front, which cut off our plays down. I'm like, you know, first of all, who admits that? And then second of all, that shouldn't matter. So, I mean, it, it's just the same old mistakes over and over and over again. And, and, you know, what's different, I, I was on a Nebraska station the other day and I'm like, well, what's different is with these guys, all of them bought in with their hearts with Scott Frost. Yeah. They wanted him to succeed in the worst way. I mean, the prodigal son returns home. He's a, the savior. He's our, he's one of us. He understands he's played for Tom Osborne. He won a national title. He knows. And now it, it's not like Mike Riley or Bo Pelini or Bill Callahan, where you can just say, I ah, get rid of get somebody else. I mean, then they have to really reflect, is there anything Nebraska can do? I think they can. I, I don't think it's going to be that difficult once if they get the right guy, but I don't know that this is the right guy. Now with Brett, I don't think that's a very good football team, but I think it's a competitive team. And I think they're going to fight. And, and so they're, they're going to make some, make some games pretty difficult on some teams, but um, Nebraska sure as hell made it easy for them. Yeah. And I'm of the belief, and I know, Plenty of people listening to this, Iowa fans, will disagree with me um, because I know there's a sentiment that, you know, from an Iowa fan standpoint, they hope Iowa State and Nebraska suck and don't win a game every year. I think Iowa State being good makes the Cyhawk game more impressive for Iowa if it wins. It's a better game, um, national attention. I think for the Big Ten, it would really benefit the Big Ten, the Big Ten West in particular, if Nebraska would get its shit together. and Because that's what was expected when it joined the league. And now, instead of having Nebraska in the mix with Wisconsin, Iowa, Northwestern, and maybe Minnesota at times, they're not a non-factor. And that's mm-hmm. not good for the league. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's not healthy because – you need your biggest institutions, the one, the flagship institutions to, to carry you. And that's what they bought in Nebraska. If they would have gotten this out of Nebraska 10 years ago, I'm sure Jim Delaney would have p- taken you know, Missouri instead mm-hmm. or somebody else like that, because, you know, you're buying the, the marketing value. You're buying the fact that they have a national brand and, and it's, it's been sullied and by themselves, you know, in the, in the 10 years they've been in the big 10 and, and, you know, I, I've come to believe there are two hallmarks of the West division specifically that teams have to adhere to, or they won't compete. And that is one, you've got to be um, tremendous or at least very competent along the line of scrimmage, both sides. And I think you see that with Iowa, Wisconsin, and Northwestern year in and year out. They're both, they're all three generally really good there. Um, two. And, you have, and when Minnesota's competed, it's been yeah. good up front. Right. And offensive line, it certainly is. Defensive line yeah. right now is still struggling there. But, yep. but then um, two is you've got to be an outstanding developmental program. Yep. And, and 
because Wisconsin, Iowa, none of the teams recruit at an elite level. In fact, Nebraska recruits at a better level than everybody else every year. And you've got to be able to, to turn those players, those three-star guys from small-town Midwest into players like Sam Laporta or you know, take your pick out of all those players from Wisconsin or Iowa that have turned into really good players and NFL caliber guys. Nebraska doesn't do that. Nebraska fumbles every year and it's recruiting. And, and so if you, if they could at least be equal to or comparable as Iowa, Wisconsin, long line of scrimmage, and if they could develop their players, they'll be in the race. They'll be, they've got it. They've got enough money. They got enough tradition, history, um, resources, whatever but they just don't. And they haven't, they haven't at all. Cause I don't care if you're a drop back passing team like Iowa or, or Wisconsin, you run a gap or zone or you run zone read or RPO that doesn't matter. But the, the line of scrimmage and the developmental is, is essential. And in, in this, cause, and, and we've seen that, that Iowa and Wisconsin are elite in that area and Nebraska is, is, is subpar. Yes. Yeah, not a good start for the Huskers. Um, 11 games left. We'll see what happens. We'll see what we uh, we'll see what we find in Lincoln on Black Friday. because That'll be interesting. But I'm yeah. with you, Scott. If they find the right guy, it's about fit. I mean, yeah. you know, Tom with Tom Allen's a great example. He's mm-hmm. a good fit at Indiana. He was a high school coach at Ben Davis. He knows the landscape. You know? And you thought that that might be the case with Scott Frost, but it wasn't. And I don't think I mean, I thought it was a good hire when they made it. Sure. You know, Everybody. But yeah. you, you have to, at some point, say to yourself, this isn't working. And then you move on. Um, you know, when Steve Alford was hired at Iowa, right. I think everybody loved that hire. Didn't mm-hmm. work out. Wasn't a good fit. It's all about finding the right fits. You know, Pat Fitzgerald is a great fit mm-hmm. at Northwestern. Paul Christ is a great fit at Wisconsin. Ferentz at Iowa. Mm-hmm. That's what it's about. It's about finding the right guy. Unless you're Ohio State, you just kind of just run guys through guys well, in there. But even them, I mean, Ryan yeah. Day's a good fit for that program. Remember the one year they had Luke Fickle? And they went yeah. six and six. I mean, that was a year where uh, now he he's a good coach and he's mm-hmm. at, at Cincinnati and he might be the guy that hey Nebraska needs to take that next step and, and go get or, or Iowa after Ferentz. I don't know. You know, I mean, that's that's another discussion for another day. But but. You know, there are lots of good coaches out there, but you have to find that fit. I think in the 20 years or so of the Big Ten, in the two major sports, the best fit uh, of a, a coach and a program I've seen is Bo Ryan with Wisconsin basketball. He yeah. turned that program, you know, Dick Bennett helped too, but, mm-hmm. but before them, that program was a wasteland. That was just like it wasn't football. Um, before Barry Alvarez and he turned it into a program. This is how we're doing it. And it became one of the elite level programs in the big 10 every year. I mean, how many years in a row did they finish in the top four and, and get a double buy? And I don't seem like every year. Um, and so it's not hard if you're Nebraska, if Scott Frost, isn't the guy, go get uh, Matt Campbell. Um, <laughs> you know, not that, not that that's the one, but no, get like your him. Matt Campbell. Yeah, exactly. Get your guy. And um, what is Bob Devaney, I think, came from Wyoming. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have to be, you know, just make sure you get it. Because I had no idea what Matt Campbell was. I really didn't even know him when he came. I knew he was at Toledo when he got hired and he was good there. But there have been a lot of good coaches there. I mean, Tim Beckman was was before him at Toledo and he went to Illinois and he was 
maybe the worst coach of the Big Ten in the last 20 years. And then you look at Matt Campbell, and he's been as good of a hire, certainly the best hire in Iowa State history. And he's the Ferentz, he's the, the statue coach that you want at Iowa State if, if he stays there long term. And Nebraska's all it needs to do is once it opens up, just go find the best fit. Don't, don't worry about the, winning the PR battle. And uh, they screwed up royally with Mike Riley. If Scott Frost was the right hire. It just, I think the Alford comparison cannot be more true than what we've seen. Yes. They're similar to, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's, let's finish up with some uh, Hawks in the NFL. Big week this week, Scott, uh, you know, teams cutting down to the 53 and signing guys to practice squads. Uh, I would refer people over to your, Twitter account, you do a good job of tracking these things. Um, 36 guys, is that right? Yeah, 36, and then four ended up on practice teams. So 40 total. Yeah, 40 total um, are getting paid by NFL teams right now. And and there are some. there's a couple others who I think, um, in Mike Daniels and Julio Johnson, who haven't landed, that I think will land at some mm-hmm. point. Somebody's going to get hurt. Somebody's going to need. Hey, we need we need a guy right now. And and so I think you know you could see 43, 44, Jake Gervas could end up back in the NFL at some point. Cedric Lattimore could. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but this is this is un, un, unbelievable. And you know, one of the things I tried to do was I went through uh, kind of rivals rankings just to see kind of how that they how it all came together. And when you look at, you know, Iowa's kind of an aberration of sorts because um, of their 36 players, uh, 19 of them were three stars, 12 were two stars or and only really one walk on. Um, and then there are four, four stars and one five in, in Epineza. And uh, they're scattered from first round to, to free agent. And uh, there were 11 free agents who made teams. That's really impressive. Because, it, you know, it's not easy to make it. And, and yet here they are, you know, they've got guys on rosters who um, had to do it the hard way. Um, you know, a Ben Neiman, um, an Ike Bucker, uh, Matt Nelson is as impressive of a story as there is. And even guys from this year's class, Alaric Jackson, you know, good for him. Uh, Makai Sargent, great story. I mean, didn't really, you know, was, you know, and then on the practice team, Barrington Wade. You know, that's tremendous. Um, I think Sean Byer at some point gets on a, an active roster. Um, I think uh, James Ferentz probably does again in New England. <laughs> he was like the last cut, like always. And all right. And, and the practice teams are expanded. They, they did that through COVID to 16 players. So there's a little bit more leeway and they can actually add six vested veterans to the, to that. So that helps a guy like James Ferentz and probably somebody like, Jake Travas or, or Mike Daniels, even at some point. So, um, you know, I, it, but it, it, either way, any other ways, I, I think what Iowa has accomplished and to see a Parker Hesse and a, and a Cole Banwert and Matt Nelson make it in the next level, at least get a, a name with your Jersey on it and a paycheck. I think it's just outstanding. Yeah. You mentioned two guys, I think that are really Im- impressive when you think about, you know, Barrington Wade, didn't play a ton at Iowa, yeah. you know, it was a special teams guy and spot player on the at linebacker. And then Makai Sargent wasn't the starter mm-hmm. at Iowa last year, right. you know, and both of those guys uh, staying in the league. Does, 
Does your list include Nate Stanley? And what is the deal with the injured reserve thing? How does that affect um, – what are those guys counting? Where, where are those guys? Uh, well, Nate Stanley was, was cut with kind of an injury designation. And so he didn't play really at all during camp. He had um, – he was – first of all, he lost a week uh, for COVID. Um, so that was a um, – um, you know, so, and that was his own fault um, with him. And he, cause he was contact traced out. They had four quarterbacks on their roster. The Vikings did. And Kellen Mond had it And Kirk cousins and Nate Stanley sat out and whether it was a conscious decision or what, you know, Jake Browning, the only one who was vaccinating out of the, out of the group actually got all the reps. And then Nate Stanley, uh, you know, again, I don't know why he got his injury designated out, but, and who was the other one you said? No, Stanley was the one I was talking about because mm-hmm. I, I retweeted some, uh, one of the Minnesota reporters this morning, I think it was the St. Paul Pioneer Press reporter uh, had tweeted out yesterday that um, Stanley was a, among a group of players that were, that cleared waivers and now they're reverted to the team's injured reserve list. So yeah. There, there must be some uh, part of the organization where they can stash these guys, I guess. But I would think there's got to be a, a limit to the amount of time they can spend on there. And, and I don't really know what his injury is. Yeah, the injury designations are a little more complicated. And, and I, it's, I've been enough removed that I'm, I'm not completely caught up on it. Um, you know, the same thing kind of happened with um, Cole Banwart. Yeah. So I don't know. Is he a COVID situation, Ben? Yeah. Yeah. He's a COVID and same thing with Parker Hesse right now, but, but that said, they weren't outright waived either. And I don't know when they are healthy and they come off that designation one way or the other, then, then they'll be available to, uh, um, you know, to, you know, completely, you know, provide an injury settlement, which is generally what happens if they have any kind of money remaining or, um, let them go regardless or, or bring them back to the active roster or, or the practice team and stuff like that. But, but, you know, Nate Stanley didn't do much if at all. I don't think he even took a snap in a preseason game this year. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't know what that means for his future. Uh, you certainly a, a very studious kid in the classroom, a smart kid that way. And, um, but, you know, Jack Heflin made it, made the Packers. That was pretty cool. And, um, you know, and, and one other thing that's that's kind of strange about the NFL, I've seen it in years past, is guys who are vested veterans who are released, um, if they are on an active roster in week one, then the teams are required to pay them for the entire season. Whereas if they then sign week two, they can pay them week by week. So I could see Mike Daniels, for instance, who's, you know, he's getting up there in age for a defensive lineman. He's had a lot of injuries. That a team might hold off till week two to bring him back in because if he's going to be around for four or five games and gets hurt again, then they don't want to be responsible financially for for paying you know a million bucks or whatever it would be. So, uh, but anyway, yeah, it's it just to me. I, I think you look at this list: who's stuck? Uh, you know, Baltimore. You know, Christian Welch and Geno Stone. You know, both were. Uh, you know, Christian wasn't a free agent. Gino was a seventh rounder and here they are, you know, they made the active roster. Um, both will be big time special teamers. Um, Matt Nelson, that turnaround to me is to go from, 
you know, defensive line to offensive tackle and to be, I think their number seven offensive lineman is just, it's remarkable. It shows a lot of development on him and, and he's a lot bigger. He's like 325 now. <coughs> and then Makai Sargent is probably the one that stands out the most. That's just amazing. Yeah, I'll be interested to see. Um, Josh Jackson just couldn't find consistency in Green Bay. He gets a fresh start with the Giants, uh, made the 53. So see if he can carve out a role for himself there in New York. Yeah, right. And he's been hurt this this uh, month, so they kind of took him as a leap of faith. And they you know, it was it was one of those mutually beneficial trades where Green he wasn't very good in Green Bay. Let's face it, he, he kind of and he what and he was borderline whether they even make the team. Probably not. He needed a fresh start. The player he got traded for needed the same fresh start. So good, you know, he extends his career a little bit and see what happens there. Hopefully he's healthy and maybe a different defense, a different type that might help him. Um, you know, maybe one of the most impressive player, I think the most impressive player in camp this year was, was Nick Neiman. Yeah. Uh, rookie wise with the chargers, I think he had like 28 tackles and was just all over the place. And he was the leader preseason leader in tackles for the NFL. Yeah. And I know that's whatever that's, uh, <laughs> you know, right. I don't know how you quantify the importance of that stat, but that's still, I mean, for a rookie to go in and do that is impressive on some level. Yeah, right. I mean, it means you're, you're out there, you're active, and you're doing what you need to do and, and to make the team. And, um, yeah, both both Neemans are exactly the same type of player in that regard. You know, they, they play special teams and sub packages, and that's what their teams are going to ask them to do, and they're going to do a good job doing it. And, you know, of course, with Ben Neeman, you know, hey, forever he's going to be a Super Bowl champion. So that's uh, – and his brother can say, ha-ha, well, at least I was an NFL draft pick. <laughs> Um, if you're looking, if you watch NFL, this is my, um, approach to watching in the NFL. I usually watch if there's a Hawkeye involved and, um, usually the first few weeks before I know the Jets suck and don't watch <laughs> them much anymore, but, um, two teams that have three Hawkeyes on them, uh, Buffalo with mm -hmm. Becker, Hyde and Epinesa and the Chiefs yeah. with Hitchens, Ben Neiman and Austin Blythe, and then a couple teams that have multiple Hawkeyes on them. So you'll be able to turn on an NFL game this season. There's a good chance you're going to see an Iowa player involved because of right. so many being in there. One guy I want to ask you about, Scott, who I didn't see on this list and haven't heard much, and maybe I missed it. Did Adrian Claiborne retire? I think the league retired him. Okay. Um, he got cut in March, and I originally had him on that list for – I, I kind of waited until the end of camp, and then I took him off because he hadn't been re-signed by anybody. I've seen you know, a lot of his pictures, and they, they include him golfing and stuff. And <laughs> Good for him. Yeah, yeah. so uh, I think at this point he's probably done. Not, you know, <laughs> And somebody then mentioned to me, hey, he retired. I'm like, I didn't see that. Otherwise, I wouldn't have him on there, but – I think I wonder if uh, it's more of a matter of midseason if somebody calls him, but but now, you know, he didn't go through a training camp. He didn't, you know, pe people are. I think he's he's probably done. So, uh, but you know, he had a really nice career. You know, he lasted what ten years, nine, ten, yeah, ten years. You know, ten year NFL career. Sure, he's not going to be a Hall of Famer or anything, but he had a nice run and 
you know, had one incredible game when he had like a six sack game or something like that against Dallas one year. And he got to a Super Bowl. I think he won another one. And um, so, yeah, I mean, he, you know, hats off to him. And, you know, one guy that got cut early in camp was Nate Weeding. So I kind of wonder if there's anything there. Uh, Denver, you know, also has three guys on its roster. Oh, you're right. Uh, Sorry, guys. And then on the practice team, you got Wade and, and Byer. And I, I think Wade's versatility, the fact that he could probably play running back too, if needed, you know, practice teams, it's just kind of like, hey, let's just, you know, you're, you're kind of there at their whim <laughs> and you're doing whatever. You know, you got some guys like Byer that just barely missed it, that you're like, okay, we need yeah. to keep this guy. But, you know, the other factor is anybody can get signed off a practice team. There's no, you know, you can get cut, but if uh, let's say Minnesota loses two tight ends in the first game and they're going, we need somebody fast. All right, sign buyer and they can do it. You know, unless buyer says no, but that would be incredibly foolish. I miss Tennessee too. Mm. Um, Hooker, yeah. Sergeant and Van Wart. So they've got three as well. So as yeah. I said, look they have around. five in camp. Yeah. Yeah. They've released so. Ross Reynolds and, and Greg Maven. So yeah, and Maven seems to pop back up quite often, and Reynolds as well. So we'll see yeah. what happens with those two. Right, Maven got hurt, and uh, so that made him expendable. He's he's the type of guy that just yeah, as you said, he just kind of oh there he's on a team again. You know, usually it's kind of a, <laughs> he starts as a well, you know, hey, he's getting a paycheck in the NFL, but it's like last year he's with Jacksonville and he's their starting corner. And it's like well, they're not a very good team. They need players, and here he is. But hey, you know. You're, you're you're an NFL player. There's that's something that nobody can take away from you. CJ Beathard, uh, yeah. new team, and he is the number two behind yeah. Trevor Lawrence. Gardner Minshew is uh, been is off to Philadelphia. So uh, yeah, a uh, as they say, Scott, CJ is one play away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I hope. And you know, the sad part is that Jaguars fans really want the starter to succeed. <laughs> yeah it's not like but with that offensive line we'll see yeah, yeah i know um you know how some teams it's uh you know like let's say chicago where you have andy dalton as your starter and you have justin fields as your backup there's there's a lot of attention on getting the backup out there this way it's the other way around they'd they want trevor to succeed under all costs and uh, stay healthy so um but cj played well I, I thought, and and he, in some ways, he allowed uh, Jacksonville to make Gardner Minshew expendable because you know they're if they didn't feel like a Trevor Lawrence could handle it and b that if he couldn't that they didn't have somebody who could at least step in and not get him killed, um, they wouldn't they wouldn't move Minshew and and, and Beathard is uh, you know he's what, signed a two year five million dollar deal I think so you know hey more money more money. And uh, the NFL is not starting this weekend. It's uh, a different format this year, three preseason games. So this weekend is off from the NFL. It's all college. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to jumping in tonight, Scott, with Ohio State, Minnesota. Um, interested to watch that game. I got some chili on the stove, getting mm. ready for that. Uh, may have a beverage, <laughs> watch that game and uh, kick off my I did watch the Illinois-Nebraska game, but uh, this feels like college football season this week. I was kind of pumped about Illinois-Nebraska, you know, because West Division game, yeah. you know, you know both teams and Bielema. And, and so I had it on, but then I, I did get restless a little bit because, 
you know, we finally got flooring in our basement and I was moving some stuff around. So I was kind of like, uh, I gotta go do this, but, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you on tonight and watching the mighty gophers, uh, try to slay the Buckeyes, which I don't think will happen. I think they could score in the high twenties, but I don't think they can hold. I, 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 my guess would be like 58 to 27 or something like that. And, um, and then, uh, you know, tomorrow night we've also got a game too, but you'll, you'll, I'm sure you'll be out at high school, but we got out at West Branch tomorrow night, what are oh, yeah. Columbus, but I'll shoot a half of that. So I'll come back and watch football is Rutgers and Rutgers plays tonight as well. Don't they? Or it got is that postponed. Tomorrow? It got postponed till Saturday now. Okay. Because all because of, oh, of the weather, the flooding and stuff out there. Yeah. That was just disastrous. Yeah. Rutgers and temple. So, um, yeah, it was supposed to be like at five o'clock our time today, but they pushed it back to Saturday. I think it is. So, wow. which makes sense. And I hope those people are okay. I saw some videos of the subway, subway system in New York, man, that was scary, scary stuff. So we got what's going on in New Orleans and Louisiana, man, everybody just kind of be safe tornadoes. I see tornadoes in like New Jersey. I mean, craziness right now. End times, I think. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> we're done hopefully we'll get through the saturday's game yeah that's, uh, <laughs> hope, uh, you know we don't need to go in that path but, <laughs> but why yeah, yeah. You, uh, why don't you tell the folks what they can find on the actual from the athletic this week i know I've, I've seen people saying that they'll just maybe call in sick tomorrow or take tomorrow off friday the third uh to have the four-day weekend so let people give some people things to uh, read and get ready for the Iowa game on Saturday. Oh yeah. We've got plenty of great stuff. I mean, you know, first of all, this week I wrote about Tyrone Tracy, you know, and just, I think he needs to, you know, emerge as not only a guy who can make plays, but a consistent plays for this offense to flourish. I wrote kind of a column that last year's adversity, everything that they faced showed their resolve. And I think that can help propel them to something special this year. Because when they get down in a situation, you know, they can dig deep and they've had to deal with it before. And I like the makeup of this team, um, you know, and, and beyond what I've written, we've got a, a fantasy draft and an Iowa running back made it from our uh, national writers. So uh, that that's kind of cool. We've a got, college football fantasy draft. Yep. College football. Okay. 36 cool. Heisman draft. So okay. 36 players were drafted and uh, an Iowa running back made that list from our national team we uh brian hamilton who primarily covers college basketball uh is doing a beers of the conference nice. so in each different spot of the main conferences including big 10 i did join in on that for the iowa one but uh we're doing you know yesterday it published beers of the big 10 from big grove brewing to the bra house <laughs> brew labs so uh wherever you're going hey check that out maybe even um screen take a couple screenshots so when you go to madison or you know, maybe not Lincoln because it's Thanksgiving, but, you know, we have odds on the games this week. Um, and then, of course, my factors. And and next week, we'll really, really, really ramp up with Cyhawk week. But I'm trying to, you know, even though it woke me up in the middle of the night thinking about it, and I don't need to start writing about it right now. <laughs> yes. And speaking of beer, everybody behave yourself in Kinnick this week. The first game with uh, alcohol sales to the general uh, public in the stadium, beer and wine. You think people will really drink wine like in the stands? That's that seems odd to me. Wine coolers, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I, I can see that. You know, if you can't classify 
a, what is a, a white claw or a seltzer? I mean, stuff that I won't ever touch that yeah. I only would have, I only would have bought 30 years ago for <laughs> other people around me, you know, I mean, Purple's and yeah. <laughs> purple passion. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, I would never drink it myself, but you know, yeah. I had it around for other reasons, but no, the, you know, I, I can't see that, but you know, what is it like eight fifty for domestics and nine fifty for, uh, uh, crafts. I think that's what I heard. I think prices. that people will partake to keep the buzz going mm-hmm. and then they, they stop at the end of the third quarter. So yeah make sure you know that and uh i'm sure the bathrooms would be busier than normal as well good thing they renovated those right in conjunction with that so yeah yeah that could be pretty rough but uh hopefully we can uh maybe they can leave out a couple six packs for us on our way back from the locker room right they should have it in the press box i think you're going to give it to the fans you may as well give it to just put it in that cooler with the powerade and the water exactly take out the powerade after the end of the third quarter and put in the beer there and then put a tap over by the carving station, by the exactly. pot machine. Yep. You have the coffee on one side and you have the tap on the other. That one. <laughs> so if you're Perfect. from Iowa and listening and you have no plans on doing that, I'm sure that will not persuade you at all anyway. But <laughs> it's a suggestion. Yeah. So Yeah. Hey, they're going to make money on this. That's no doubt about it. Um, that will do it for this episode of the Hawkeye Hotspot podcast. And we, Scott and I appreciate everybody listening. And um Looking forward to finally being able to watch some football and talk about that next week. And uh, there's a little game that will be going on a week from Saturday as well that we'll get into on the next Hawkeye Hotspot podcast that may be of interest to folks in the state. So look forward to that. Have a great weekend. Enjoy uh, the game. Have a good holiday. And uh, we will talk to you again next week. Say goodbye, Scott. Goodbye, Scott.